Would you stand with me, please? As Dan comes to read our scripture this morning, I can tell that I did actually turn my microphone on this time and uh, didn't have it on in the baptistry. And I just want to say before he reads, you were so blessed last Sunday to hear from my father-in-law, Glenn Plum. And if you were here on Sunday night, you were blessed to hear from Don Bradley. And I'm so thankful for both of them and their preaching and teaching. But this morning, your pastor is back. So you have to deal with me now, all right? And Dan's going to read God's word for us. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. This is the word of the Lord from Titus, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I would imagine that many of you, if not most of you, are very familiar with the name John Wesley. We most often remember John Wesley as the principal founder of the Methodist movement. Uh, John Wesley also was a voluminous writer, so you can read many of his treatises, his sermons. Uh, he and his brother wrote lots of hymns that we sing even in Baptist churches. And so John Wesley has had an incredible impact on the life of the church in the West and in addition to all that he wrote, he also kept lots of personal journals. And many of those journals have been remembered, they've been shared with others. And I heard a story about one particular entry in a journal that I was able to find on an occasion where John Wesley very gently tried to confront one of his church members, who he only calls Mr. M., and the reason he was confronting Mr. M, as he wrote in his journal, was because he felt like Mr. M had been giving him the cold shoulder in church. And so he went up to Mr. M and was going to nicely ask him why. And this is one of those stories that's always a good reminder. Be careful what you ask, because uh, you may not want to know. So Mr. M responded to him, Actually, Pastor, I like nothing that you do. Indeed, there is neither man nor woman in this town who minds a word that you say. And so you may preach here long enough, but eventually nobody will come to hear you. Don't you love it when people encourage their pastor? 
Actually, hearing this story about Wesley makes every pastor feel better. If this could happen to John Wesley, it could happen to anybody. And as I I was reading about this and thinking about how as we move into Titus chapter 2, we've already seen so clearly as Paul's writing to Titus that that pastoring a church is hard. And Titus is doing that on an interim basis. And he doesn't just have one church. He has many churches that he's in charge of. And we know as we've been reading in this letter, there are lots of problems that have cropped up in the church. So, So the church and pastoring a church is not an easy setting. And, and, and Paul's made that clear And I was remembering thinking about Wesley's journal And the book of Titus One of my favorite stories from South Tulsa Baptist Church And, and I, I like to tell only, only bad stories from the past Okay, but, but because if, if I tell stories from here I'm going to save those for some way, way down, someday way down the line Okay, when nobody's in the room uh, who was a part of it But nobody in this room was a part of this, okay So it's safe Back in 2018, those of you who were here will remember we did our vision gathering. And in advance of the vision gathering, we sent out some surveys to you. And we asked you, tell us, give us some feedback on how things are going here. So, so we requested feedback about music, about our facilities, about our programs, about our, our, our green space in the back. And we also requested feedback on the preaching. Again, be careful what you ask for. And one response that I got about preaching was, it said something like, our pastor's preaching is shallow and ineffective, and I wish that I could come on Sunday for once and hear a good sermon. It was something like that. (laughs) Truly. One of the very next questions, though, was what improvements would you make to the facility? And this was before we put all these beautiful sound panels. You think this is like a, a geometric design, but these are sound panels that we put up all over this room so that you can hear better we did this after the vision gathering and one of the next questions was what improvements would you make and this person said i can't hear at any point during the service i only catch about every third word of the sermon so i felt a little bit better about my shallow and ineffective preaching if this person could only hear every third word again that pastoring a church is is an interesting job And I will tell you, just to bring peace back to the room, this has been a wonderful place to pastor these five-plus years. In fact, my ninth-grade son, Noah, was just talking about that in his Sunday school class this morning, how blessed our family has been to be at this church. And for the most part, every single moment we've had here has been such a blessing to us. But, But pastoring, preaching, teaching always comes with challenges. And Titus is in a situation where he probably didn't have as many good things to say about what was happening in his churches as he did some some challenging, difficult things. And another thing I love about what we call the pastoral epistles, so we're talking about 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. They're written to pastors, and they're very honest about the fact that no church is perfect. We serve a perfect God, and we serve a perfect Savior but we as the church are imperfect people and there is no perfect church there's no place where people gather as a community of faith where there are not challenges and that's a theme that jumps out of of titus and first and and second timothy uh, clearly it's sort of like the old christian proverb to live above with the saints we love oh that will be glory but to live below with the saints we know well that's a different story 
Sometimes that is true. And chapter 1, Paul talked about some of the problems and the sinful attitudes that were present among the people in the churches in Crete. He also told Titus, don't go it alone, but appoint alongside you some other trustworthy leaders that you can put in place, and someday when you're gone that you can leave in place who will not only be sound in their teaching, in other words, they won't just be trustworthy in what they say, but appoint leaders that you know are backing up with their actions what they say with their words so that you will have people of integrity in positions of leadership and, and you will rebuild these churches and see a renewal happen on the island of Crete in the churches because faithful people are in positions of leadership. So now we turn to chapter 2, and Paul's going to begin by speaking directly to Titus. But as you noticed in the reading, and hopefully you made the connection to the psalm that Rebecca read from just a little bit earlier, everybody is included in this passage. So you might say it this way, Paul is going to tell Titus, I want you to step on everybody's toes with what you're going to say and what you're going to teach. The older men and the older women, the, older, the, the younger men, the younger women, I want you to speak clearly to everybody. But starting with you, Titus, Paul says, you must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Now, as you might imagine, when I was in seminary being trained to go into vocational ministry, I heard this verse a lot. This verse is often aimed at those who teach as a reminder, you must teach what is appropriate, what, what is right with and keeping with sound doctrine. But what I notice next in this chapter is that, that Paul then doesn't get specific about what that means. In fact, the bulk of this chapter is not about the content of Titus's teaching, but it's more about the quality of his life and of the lives of the others that he's addressing. It's more about their character and their lifestyle than it is the specific content of what they teach. So, so imagine in a seminary setting, well, you take this one verse out of the context of Titus 2, and you say to your future ministers, you must teach at all times what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Well, if you were a bit of an inquisitive student like I was, you might have asked the question, sound doctrine according to who? Because in a Baptist seminary, then you might be trained to teach sound doctrine according to the Baptist faith and message, which is built upon Scripture as its foundation. If you were in a Wesleyan church, you might be taught more Wesleyan doctrine. If you were in a Presbyterian church, you might be taught more Reformed doctrine. All along the lines, and, and, and we're really just talking about Western churches in this moment. So what does it mean to teach in according to sound doctrine? Well, I noticed that Paul doesn't mention Calvinism. Okay, he doesn't say, hey, Titus, I want you to, to solve for everybody in Crete the, the debate over sovereignty and, and predestination and free will. He also doesn't say, Titus, I want you to be really clear about your millennial views. Okay, that's the most important thing. Hammer that into the people in Crete. He also doesn't say, I, I want you to clarify super clearly gender roles in the church and who should do what. He doesn't dive into what we typically argue about in terms of doctrine, but instead he talks about attributes of godly character and faithful living. So I think it's important just to say a couple of things here in verse 1. 
before we start stepping on everybody's toes that of these different groups uh, i'm going to say this twice and then i'm going to say the next thing twice okay so get ready if you miss either one of them you have two chances here's the first sound doctrine is just as much about a faithful lifestyle as it is a systematic ordering of one's biblical understanding and interpretation i'll say that again sound doctrine is as much about a faithful lifestyle obedience godliness as it is a systematic ordering of one's biblical understanding and interpretation or as someone else has said it orthodoxy without orthopraxy is dead so you've heard james you know this scripture hopefully faith without works is dead faith without actions is dead well orthodoxy right belief without orthopraxy right practice is dead our doctrine is about our obedience and our faithfulness as much as it is what we know and can reproduce with others when we teach so again paul writes specifically here to men and women both older and younger to many who were slaves and and we've already said he steps on everyone's toes but i think maybe we could say it better he includes everybody here so paul as he's writing to these churches in crete says every single one of you has a role to play doesn't matter your age doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl everybody has a role to play in the church everybody has something to offer and so here now titus are the instructions i want you to give to everybody starting with the older men teach the older men he writes to be temperate to be worthy of respect to be self-controlled that's going to be a common theme throughout this chapter and sound in faith and in love and in endurance i'm convinced that there are really two types of men who grow older there are those who as they grow older grow kinder and more grateful with each day and then there's the opposite and when i think about the kind of older man that i want to be around i want to be around that man who is kinder and more grateful more thankful as he's grown older i want to be around men who are older than me who it's obvious that as they've grown and matured in their spiritual life that the fruit of the spirit has continued to be developed in them that they're not hard-hearted that they're not tight-fisted that they're not closed off to everybody that's different than them but that they are full of love and joy and peace and patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control that's the kind of older man i want to be around and that's the kind of man that i want to be as i grow older and paul says to the older men it's okay to demand respect because you're older but be worthy of that respect i mean i'm in full agreement we ought to respect our elders there is a certain amount of respect that comes with age but there's also much more so respect that is earned and paul says it doesn't matter how old you are live in a way that's worthy of the respect that goes with your age be self-controlled be temperate be sound in your faith but also in your love and and in your endurance so that you will finish well and then he moves to the older women now i'm not exactly sure who paul's talking about here but he's wise to not name names right to, to say this is who i'm calling an older woman 
And so I won't do that either. I'll just say, if you want to put yourself in this category, go ahead. And if you don't, if you're not there yet, then just think, okay, I will be someday, all right? To, to the older women, Paul says, being very inclusive of everyone, you also be reverent in the way that you live. Make sure, Titus, tell the older women not to be slanderers, not to be addicted to much wine, but instead to teach what is good. Now, here's another thing I want to say that I'm going to repeat a few times because I hope that it will be of comfort to you the next time you come to a place in the New Testament, in one of the letters, the epistles, that you think, I'm not sure how we should apply this. Because sometimes it's, it's hard to know. So is what Paul wrote here under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, is this prescriptive for every church? In other words, is Paul really saying here that every church has older women that slander and are addicted to much wine, and that's the biggest thing we ought to address with our older women? I don't think so. So the next time you come to a hard passage and, and you would say, it's hard to discern sometimes what from the New Testament epistles is for that time and place specifically, or what is universal or prescriptive, or, or maybe we would say archetypal, for every church, in every place, for all time. Sometimes it's hard to know. I think this is an example where we can say, surely Paul's not saying that older women in every church need to be warned about slander or being addicted to much wine. But at the same time, even if this is addressed to a specific problem with specific, specific people in Crete, we can agree that this is sound teaching. This is good teaching for older men, older women, younger men, younger women, that you would not be a person who, out of your mouth, only comes toxic things about other people. This is really good spiritual advice. And that maybe wine is not your thing, but whatever it might be that would take a hold of your life as an addiction and holds you captive, that you would run away from that and, and do your very best to, to, to seek freedom in Christ from that addiction. This is good advice for anyone. And I also note here that Paul says the older women teach. And so he tells them, in what you teach, let it be good. And I think this goes back to that idea. Orthodoxy without orthopraxy is dead. He's saying to them, not just the words that come out of your mouth, but what you teach ladies as an example, let that also be good. Be a good example for others in what you say, in what you put online, in what you share, in how you act. Be a good example. Teach what is good with your life. And then he says, older women specifically, you have an important role with younger women. Verse 4, I want you to, to, Titus, tell them to urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, there it is again, to be pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to your husband so that no one will malign the word of God. I want to note here, before we kind of talk about again that, that difficult to discern, how do we apply this? The fact that Paul is writing to women at all is extremely countercultural in the first century. In the first century world, whether you were a Greek, a Roman, or, or a Jew, for the most part, don't be offended by this. This is the ancient world. This is not me. Women didn't matter all that much. Why would you write to the women, Paul? They, they're supposed to just do what they're told. 
They're supposed to just tell their husbands to tell them what to do. And, and their job is to please their husbands. But Paul, so inclusively here, he calls and singles out the women. He says, you, what you do matters. You do have value. I see Paul putting the women and the men, no matter their age, on equal footing because he said elsewhere, in Christ there is no male or female. You are one in Christ Jesus. Every single one of you are the church. You are the body of Christ. And so that he speaks to the younger women at all is countercultural. But again, as I've said, sometimes it's hard to discern what from the New Testament epistles is for that time and place and what is universal or prescriptive for all churches in all times. I don't believe that Paul is saying here to the women, you should only be busy at home. Now again, going back to the first century, it was much more of a, a paternal, patriarchal world. And, and the idea that we have today of a career woman that really wasn't a thing back in the first century. But make no mistake, women in the first century did not just work for the good of their home and household. Certainly much of their work was for the good of their husband and for their children and their family. But we have examples, not just in history, but even in the Bible, of women who go out and work outside of the home for the good of the community, to help take care of the resources, to help grind up and prepare the food, whatever it might be, not just for their home, but for, for everyone. And so what Paul is saying here, again, this is good advice for anybody, whether you are inside of your home or out of it, live faithfully, be a good example be kind keep that level of respect in order just as as god has demonstrated for you and exemplified for you so that not so that people will think you're great and not so people just won't say bad things about you but so that they won't malign the word of god that when they see your life and they know that you profess at least you claim to be a christian then they won't malign the word of god because they see that you live in such a self-controlled manner and you live in a way that is so worthy of respect. But here's also something I think that, that, that Paul means here that is prescriptive for all younger women. That he would say to you, it, whatever you do, give your best effort, put your best into it, but make sure that your husband and your children are first. Make sure that whatever energy or effort you're putting outside of the home or wherever you are, make sure that you love your family and care for your family well so that you will be the kind of mother, the kind of wife that God has called you to be, the kind of godly woman that he's called you to be, but also so that no one will malign the word of God. And for those of you who might be sort of relieved, oh good, he didn't talk about the roles of women in the church here. We'll buckle up for just a second. Let me just, let me just tell you my heart on this. My approach to women, young and old, being a part of leadership in our church I decided a long time ago that as a pastor, and I'm also a father of daughters, that I'm not going to spend my time telling young ladies or women in our church what they can't do. But under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that, that I would lead and serve in such a way that we see men and women of all ages and boys and girls become an active part of, of service in the life of the church and the leadership. Uh, that this is not a place where the men do everything. It's certainly not even a place where we're all men on staff. We have more women on our ministry staff than men. And I think those of you who are a part of South Tulsa would agree. We are so blessed here 
to have so many wonderful, gifted, and talented leaders who serve in our church, men and women, who serve in leadership roles, some who teach, some who serve on committees, some who chair committees, some who are in officer positions and in our, on our staff. And I love the way that, that God is working here in our church with boys and girls, men and women. And I think what Paul's writing here deals with some specific issues in Crete, but it's really good biblical counsel for everyone that man, man or woman, young or old, these would describe our character and what we teach with our lives as much as what we say with our mouths. And I have to say that because when he finally turns to younger men, they only get one thing. So I don't want it's not fair to just say, and young men, you've got it all together, so here's just all of what Paul has said to the older men applies to the younger men. So much of what he said to the, the women still applies to the younger men because it is about obedience, godly character, lifestyle. And we shouldn't be surprised that what he reminds the younger men, with everything else I've said, younger men also remember you too be self-controlled. One of a uh, great young family in our church is the Wagner family. And uh, Todd Wagner is, is a young dad in our church. And uh, he's been attending with uh, us on Wednesday night in our, our Bible studies. And I asked the Wednesday night Bible study a couple of weeks ago, what do you know, these are all adults, what, what do you know now that you wish you could go back and tell your younger self? And Todd's answer, he said, if I could go back and tell my younger self something, I would tell my younger self that my parents were a lot smarter than I thought they were. And, and this is the, the kind of example that what Paul has said to the others is flowing down now into the younger men as well. And he summarizes it by saying, be, be self-controlled. And that, that also applies to Titus. Because Titus is a young man. He's a young minister, a young leader. And in verses 7 and 8, speaking specifically to Titus again, Paul says, as a young minister, continue to be a good example by doing what is good. Remember, be faithful and teach according to sound doctrine, but that's not just about the content of your knowledge. You be an example in everything by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity. In other words, teach in a way that is honest, that's not manipulative, and practice what you preach. That's, that's what I see with integrity. Teach with seriousness, which is a word that means holding high respect. In, in this case, when you teach, hold high respect for God's word and teach it that way with seriousness. And let your speech be sound. Teach with soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you, they're going to be ashamed and embarrassed because ultimately your teaching is life-giving. It's healing. It's restorative. It's trustworthy and it builds others up. And when anybody tries to come against you, they're going to look foolish because ultimately they really have nothing bad to say about us. That's the kind of teacher, leader, young man that you're supposed to be, Titus, as you lead forward. Remember, we've learned a little bit about those who were opposing Titus, who were causing him issues. You had the very legalistic Judaizers who were telling all the, the, the new believers in, in Crete, it's not good enough to just believe in Jesus. You need to go back through the Jewish system again. And Paul says, no, salvation is found in Christ alone, not in the law. 
Then on the other hand, you had the Gentiles. You had the Greeks who were, were in many cases chasing after philosophies and empty, hollow, shallow teaching of their culture, of their time. And Paul's saying, remind them, don't, don't turn away to the right or to the left, but keep the gospel at the center and, and God's word is your foundation. Those are, those are the, the, the difficulties that Titus was dealing with. And then in the last two verses we read, Paul then speaks to one more group. And this would be older men, older women, younger men, younger women, all would be a part of this group. He speaks specifically to many who are slaves. And I noticed as much here, and this isn't the only part of, of one of Paul's epistles where he speaks about slavery. I notice here what he does say, and I also notice what he doesn't say. He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. And the reason of that, of course, is so that they'll make the teaching about God, about Christ, attractive. Because they're, they too, even, as, even though they're slaves, will be living above reproach. Their lifestyle will match what they say they believe, and they will make the message of the gospel attractive. What Paul doesn't say here, he doesn't say, oh, and by the way, Titus, I want you to work really hard to make sure that slavery gets abolished in the empire. And I want you to make sure that people know that slavery is a moral evil. And I'm just going to be real honest and transparent because we know that even still this is such a difficult topic. I wish Paul had said that. When I read Paul talk about this in Colossians, when I read him talk about it in, in other parts of the New Testament, I wish he would just go ahead and say that because I believe it. I mean, I believe that unequivocally, that slavery is a moral evil. There are more slaves in the world right now than there ever has been. I wish that Paul would say that, but he doesn't. Instead, what he does here is he challenges, he says, even in the midst of slavery and suffering, even to you slaves as well, I want you to make the gospel and the message of Christ the most important priority and commitment in your life. And this is hard because, believe me, I know I'm standing in a Southern Baptist church. And, and even some of our roots as Southern Baptists were poisoned because of the way we handled slavery. This is tough, it's difficult. But there's also a little bit of a cultural difference here. Again, saying unequivocally, slavery is a moral evil. It's wrong. It should be abolished. If you're going to quote me on slavery, quote me on that. But back in the first century, at one point, almost half of the Roman Empire were slaves. That means almost everybody was touched by slavery. And on the island of Crete specifically, they, they had a lot of pirate activity and the slave trade was rampant on Crete. And so when Paul tells Titus to talk to slaves, he may very well be talking about a majority of the people in the church. The slave trade was so strange in those days, it was so common that you won't even find any of the other philosophers condemning slavery. Much more about what they write about is here's how we live with it and here's how slaves' owners are supposed to treat their people and how slaves are supposed to treat their masters, kind of like Paul does. It's even strange to our, our ears that some slaves, when they were freed, would go buy slaves of their own in the ancient world. It was so common, it was so prevalent. 
And Paul cuts through all of that and he says, teach the slaves in everything they do. Please their masters, be respectful, don't talk back, certainly don't steal from them. And do everything you can while you're in this position to earn their trust so that you might make the teaching about Christ attractive. As we come to the end of these verses, we can look at this whole section in one of two ways. We can say Titus was going to have to step on everybody's toes in the churches in Crete. Or we can say that Paul, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, was putting every single person in the church on equal footing to say to everyone, every single one of you matter. What you say, your attitudes, and how you live, it really does matter. Every one of you has a part to play. Thus, every one of you need to remember who you are in Christ Jesus. We're going to see this next week, but really at one of the, the heart verses of Titus is what I've titled this series, Poured Out. Paul reminds them that though this is hard, this is going to be hard. Self-control is hard. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on you through Jesus Christ, and the Spirit-filled life will help you to live differently. It will help you live in a way that is different from all the darkness and the division around you. Through the Spirit-filled life, brothers and sisters in Christ, men and women, young and old, you can do this because Christ is your strength. And when you are weak, he is strong, even strong enough for the battle that you face today. And here's how I want to, want to close. The Spirit has been poured out on you. The Spirit-filled life sets you apart as a follower of Christ. I want to end just simply by reading the passage we'll start with next week. I'm not going to teach it today, but just read it. And after I read it, even if your Bibles are open, I'm going to ask you to give me your eyes, okay? This is where, how Paul finishes Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Again, this is for you. It's for everyone. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live, there it is again, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good these then are the things you should teach titus encourage and rebuke with all authority and do not let anyone despise you i almost hear him say and do not let anybody look down on you because you're young just like he said to timothy and here's where i'd like your eyes as we close this last part of chapter two is such a beautiful explanation of the gospel message where, where Paul says to Titus, tell everybody this. The most incredible display of God's grace that you've experienced in your life if you're a follower of Christ is your salvation in Jesus Christ. There may be lots of things that you're thankful for. You may be blessed with a lot of things. But God's grace has been most clearly demonstrated in you through the salvation you have in Jesus Christ. 
And that came to you because Jesus gave himself for you. Even though you were sinful, even though you were wicked and evil, Jesus gave his life for us so that we could become his very own. We can be his sons and daughters, children, family of the King of Kings. And this wonderful grace that God has given you is not just hope for this life, though it is hope for this life. It's hope that under the leadership of the Spirit, through the Spirit-filled life, you can say no to temptation. You can say no to worldliness and passions and pressures and all of that stuff that that feels like it's going to drown you. You can win in this life. But it's also a hope that goes beyond this life. Because in Jesus Christ, our salvation is forever. It is fixed. It cannot be taken away from us. And the hope extends beyond our life after death. But it also extends, as Paul says here, to the blessed hope that our Savior Jesus Christ died and he rose again, but he's not finished. He's coming back. And I'll tell you, just personal confession, I don't talk about that enough. I do not say enough out loud, Jesus Christ is coming back. He's returning. But that is our blessed hope. God's grace, salvation in Jesus Christ has been made available to all through Jesus himself. Today, I pray that you would hope in that salvation. And if you have never said yes to following Jesus, to giving him your whole life, that today would be the day that you find your hope in him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much today for these powerful words. And I thank you that in the scripture we've read and the music that we've heard and the songs we've sang together, we've been reminded that you love all of us. And that no matter who we are, what our background is, what our makeup is, we all have a part in this story. And because of Jesus Christ, we all can experience the salvation that you've made available to all people. And so, Lord, I just pray simply that you would focus every heart, every eye on you today. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who's never said, God, I I confess my sins. I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, anyone who would say, I I trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord Lord and Savior today. I'm going to turn away from my sins. I'm going to begin to live filled with the Spirit, the Spirit-filled life, and follow you for the rest of my days. I pray, Lord, that you would speak so clearly to that person that today you would draw them to you, whether they're in this room or watching online, that today would be the day that they are awakened to the salvation that you offer to all people. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would strengthen our hearts and show us what it means to speak, think, and act faithfully as Christ has modeled for us. In Jesus' name, amen.